0: to Pop Screen, part of the Geek Show Podcast Network. We are that corner of the Geek Show that likes to deal with the good, the bad, and the horrific of movies, either starring about or by pop stars. I you know the podcast covers a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and Western to science fiction, from documentaries to hip-hop. I'm your host, Graham Williamson. I'm a writer for Byline Times, the Geek Show, and we are cult. I also make films and ranked inlay booklets for second run from time to time uh including the new one dragons return i've just got and um, that's got a quote from me on the back uh so i am very very excited by that uh but enough about my flannel i am joined
1: by i've got to say before i say you joined by me that every time we do this you get more and more like one of those auctioneers at a cattle market <laughs> <laughs> it's my dream to just get through the whole podcast in five minutes last it's, it's impressive i like it i like it you're joined by mark Finliff, who also writes for the geek show appears on letterbox uh has done several of these podcasts now i've got a chapter in scarred for life volume two which is available from lulu.com and i write inlay uh, essays too for arrow film including uh, Robin of Prince of Thieves, which is out on November 28th. Ah, lovely, yes.
0: I read a bit of uh, Alan Rickman's Diaries recently. Oh, brilliant. Are they good? They are gorgeous. I really enjoyed yeah. them. But I liked his, his comment when he, I forget why it was, he picked up some award for his performance as the Sheriff of Nottingham, and he said uh, it's a reminder that subtlety isn't always the thing you should be going for. Absolutely yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic performance. Oh yeah. What a man. But yes. Uh this is the the Butcher Boy is uh this week's film. And it's a film that I've wanted to do ever since the early days of Pop Screen. It feels like the kind of I, I like doing films that make people go, wait, that exists.
1: And yeah, this is yeah. this is
0: very much that kind of film, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. It's uh, our subject today is um Sinead O'Connor, isn't it? Although It is. That's not her name anymore, is it? It's a recording me. name. She's happy
0: to uh right to, to be known as a recording artist under it. She is currently uh, Shahada Sadakat. Yeah. I don't
1: think I'm pronouncing that rightly, but no. so. well I was still on was it uh Davit, I think was Mag- oh. Magda Davit, I think was a a name at one point. So I'm yeah, still with that one. That? Magda Davit, yes, you That's are a, quite yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. She'll go for a squiggle eventually and then it'll be full circle like Prince. It will aptly enough, yeah. Like aptly Prince. enough indeed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Two <laughs> collaborators and nemesis who were doomed to eventually become each other. Um <laughs> It's a bit
1: like Persona or something, I don't know. Yeah, could be, could be. This is quite a timely podcast as well, isn't it? Because the documentary is out at the moment. Nothing compares,
0: yeah. I haven't caught that yet, but I am very excited to see that because apparently, rather than be a whole career overview, it, it aims to sort of contextualise those six or seven years where she went from being a breakthrough artist who everyone predicted would be the next big thing to to being a a pariah really, you know, detested.
1: And and, and notoriety in between, I guess. Mm. Plays into this film really. I mean, you can't get much more notorious casting than Sinead O'Connor as the Virgin Mary. As (laughs) As <laughs> as sweary
0: sweary Virgin Mary, yes. Uh, <laughs> a song that I don't think made
1: the film version of
0: Lyle Lyle Crocodile. But... <laughs> <laughs> should have done.
1: Shoulda <laughs> done. It's um it, yeah, it's bold casting, but it's fun casting. And like you say, it's um what well, it's it's almost what pop screen should be about really, isn't mm-hmm. it? look at these weird little cameos like this. You want a weird little cameo of a uh mm-hmm. you know icon, this is probably one of the best to go to. Although it's not a major, probably... it makes scenes, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's not a major one, is it? I wonder if this is the shortest amount of screen time uh, we're going to really explore. On I'm sure we, we've shoehorned something worse than this. Uh, one day we'll
0: do Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, like, analyse through the lens of that. Two-minute David Bowie cameo, but yeah, for now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: there is a bigger role for her. This isn't her first sort of uh, acting role. The one was uh, previous was um, an Irish film called Husha By Baby, I think it's called. By a baby, that, I think was that pre-fame. Was that something she did before she? Mm, she... No, it was. Because um, when was when was uh, when was her first album? Eighty-seven was it?
0: Yeah. I'm
1: no, looking, I'm looking this... through the
0: Wikipedia page, but there is not a filmography section, which I think is, um, you know, I guess that kind of links in with how acting is seen as an extremely minor part of a career, but it's a shame. Yeah. I think it's about 90, I'd guess. I haven't got my... Um... Bang on!
1: Is IMDB there, has hey. it
0: push by baby 1990, in which she was boldly cast against type as a woman called Sinead. Yeah.
1: Although well, technically she was, because, like you say, it was... It was... During her Asp- Magda years. It was that kind of... Um, she was already notorious, I guess, at this mm. point. And she's playing a very devout, quiet, uh, aspiring-to-be-a-nun friend of, in the group it's like a pro it's an interesting film it, it was made by um like a, a sort of film unit like a cultural oh, yeah. film unit where they do workshops with the community and then try and tell uh, community stories as a movie which oh, is great but one of the things one of the problems with a lot of those experiments is that you get a lot of different stories and you throw it all against the wall and see which sticks yeah um so the the, the film starts like a very uh Proto-Derry Girls, almost, but then mm. descends into this one of the bleakest experiences I've sat through on film because it's it becomes about the troubles and abortion and the the right the right to, to abort, um, which you know Ireland didn't have unfortunately, um, and it becomes very bleak. But again, based on true stories. Uh, so yeah, that's um, I'm glad we're not talking about that. As good <laughs> as a film that it is, I mean yeah, it's a bleak one. Whereas this is this isn't bleak, is it? This is colourful. It it is a very dark comedy,
0: but it's surprisingly easy to watch, I would say.
1: It's sort it, of it 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 pops on the screen, yeah, screen, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly,
0: yeah. And it's it's also um, I think we should say the second time. In a row, I think that we've uh, been together for something that has a connection to Mac the Knife. All right, okay. Yeah. Well, we did um we, we did, did bar. Did, yeah, 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 yeah. And this
1: yes, it's the old it, yeah, it of kicks course. off it's...
0: with that odd kind of very ironic Muzak version of Mac the Knife, which is yeah, it's yeah. a clever choice because it's the whole film in microcosm. You know, Mac the knife is is a I mean, I love it. It's a horrible song about a misogynistic serial killer that somehow became a standard. And now it is in this absolutely chintzy version. And it's like it's preparing you for the fact that this is a film about the horror that lurks underneath chintz.
1: Yeah, it became a very watered down uh, standard, didn't it? I suppose Bobby Darren has a lot to answer. I guess, doesn't he? You know, I think he does. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's. spin on it.
0: Yeah. It's an irresistible melody, but the theme of it and the, and the fact that it came from like a Marxist musical about poverty in Weimar, Germany, I also think makes it a, a pretty bloody unlikely choice for all those Vegas crooners
1: to have a bash at. Just a bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm watching. Um the Rules to Freedom at the moment, which is on BBC Four a few months
0: back, Oh, you know, ah, yeah. trying to
1: catch up on it. And um, it's used very well in that uh, because the night that Hitler delivers a speech that basically just, you know, it's the, you know, he's going to invade Czechoslovakia. So, you know, mm. the shit's hitting the fan, basically. Yeah. And um, they're in France and one cabaret singer says, well, I'm going, I'm still going to perform. He's like, well, no. There's going to be nobody there, you know. Like, no, no, yeah. I will perform. There'll be some people there. All right, what are you going to perform? <laughs> <laughs> she proceeds <laughs> to sing Matt the Knife in in German, terror, terrifying the uh, you know the stuffed shirts in the, uh, yes. the cabaret in France. <laughs> so that's a good way of uh, that's a good way of putting Matt the Knife in something. Not um, not uh, not the chintzy Bobby Darren
0: No. Foe it's it's a good opening for that and it also opens with that amazing montage of all of the comic books that Francie the hero of this film is is reading and it's it, it's a really interesting opening because I think it would be quite a normal thing for most countries to have a, a coming of age story. Told through the lens of popular culture and the things that you enjoyed as a kid, it's a very regular thing seen British or American films. But when you talk about Ireland in the sixties, I mean. Some people talk about it as though it was North Korea, you know, some people talk about it in ways that (laughs) make you question whether it had any contact with the outside world at all. But he is this Irish film, a very Irish film set in the 60s, opening with this German song that's been reclaimed by Vegas singers and this montage of big brash American comic books and immediately it tells you that this is that it, it tells you in many ways that there is
1: more to Ireland than this there's than <laughs> more to Ireland than this I was going to say I was going to say because um for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about to jump in, and we've, we've just mentioned uh, a chintzy version of Matt the Knife and comic book titles you would think you're watching alright oh, so this is something uh, in America set yeah. in the 50s or something like that but it's not, it's, as you say it's Ireland it's um, based on a novel by Patrick McCabe is it? Patrick McCabe yes,
0: yeah. who, according to Wikipedia uh, his literary style is neo-delusional there there is no link to that no citation and I think it might not live much longer on
1: that page. I like that though I'm going to use that as my Instagram profile bio line now (laughs) the old delusional that's good I like that Um, yeah it's um, it's weird because it's probably one of the most Irish films ever in the sense that it, it really gets under the psyche of the, the national character, but it's as you say, it's, it, it doesn't depict an insular island, of the 50s, that island that was looking out towards America, probably getting a sort of uh a hint of pride at Kennedy, I guess, yeah, yeah, perhaps, you know, and, and sort of looking. More on the international stage as a result, feeling a bit more emboldened about itself. But it's in contrast to what we think of Ireland because a lot of Irish um films based around this time are very dark, doer mm. um you know, hatchet face peace in long frock coats on cobbled streets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And there is an element of that in this, but I wouldn't say they were hatchet-faced, everybody's quite cheery, aren't they? In a really sort of grotesque, cheery, cheery manner,
0: really, aren't they? It's it's one of those period films where most of the cast, particularly the older male cast, look a bit like Toby Juggs. Uh which uh, yeah. is, is quite nice, I think. I always enjoyed that
1: level of kind of as you say, the cheerful grotesquery of it all. The rosy-cheeked, the yeah, that is yeah. True. yeah, yeah. It's um, it's not Angela's Ashes, basically. It's what it isn't. is. What we're saying here,
0: yeah. And I think in order to get a sense of how different it is, you do have to look at things like Angela's Ashes, that uh, or what was the 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 Barry Levinson one, wasn't it? An everlasting Peace, other the film? Oh yeah, yeah. Strange,
1: particularly okay.
0: international films about Ireland made around this time. That all I suppose they're two poles of it, aren't they? An Everlasting Peaks is quite sort of lightweight and jolly and blarney and Angela's Ashes is really sort of bleak, a kind of proto misery memoir. And this hops between the two in a way that's fun but also really disconcerting.
1: Yeah, I mean this is this is blackly comic from a mm. novel that many believe was unfilmable. Um but it does sort of, like you say, it it straddles these territories, doesn't it? Yeah. And I guess it's I'm try, I was trying to think where Ireland became hugely popular in the 90s. Yeah. Possibly the commitments, maybe. But there was a whole energy of Ireland at the time, you know, like Celtic Tiger. Um, Seemingly winning year.
0: agreement.
1: good Friday agreement, seemingly winning Eurovision every year uh, yes. for about six years, I think. But it's not yeah. long um, <laughs> to the point where they even went. Ah, now come on, lads, we can't we can't do this again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what give, bankrupted the Celtic Tiger in the exactly. end, wasn't
0: it? Give somebody expensive Eurovision every single fucking
1: year. <laughs> Sick. Give La a go or something. <laughs> so it, yeah. it, it, it sort of rides that that crest of a wave really of like suddenly the suddenly island um it was just huge in the 90s particularly in cinema wasn't it you know i mean yeah
0: and i, I think this is kind of an outlier in that even something like the commitments for all it's it's written by roddy doyle it's, great great irish author but even the commitments feels like it's been made by people who were thinking in the back of their mind other people could connect with this british people could connect with this americans could connect with this this for all that it was backed by an american company and we'll get on to that because it's quite an interesting one this feels very much like well it's 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 uh, taken Paul McCartney's sentiment to heart, hasn't it? This is Ireland for the Irish. <laughs> give Ireland back to the Irish. Yeah, <laughs> give Irish cinema
1: back to the Irish and you get yeah. the Butcher Boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Directed, of course, by Neil Jordan, who uh, we should say was uh, also probably very integral in sort of putting Ireland back on the map in terms of cinema in yes. the 90s with the, with the Crying Game probably being his his sort of breakthrough statement of Ireland. Although, obviously, you know, he had a, a career before that, um Mona Lisa, even Angel as well. But I think The Crying Game was probably the one that sort of was a calling card to Hollywood, would we say?
0: Definitely, yeah. And it's interesting because The, the Crying Game in its production, was a film that nobody wanted to fund. No one thought that would be commercial. Uh, The the politics of it, the way it dealt with the troubles, obviously the the sexual politics of it as well. The trans character was thought to be just beyond what an audience could take, and it was funded by Stephen Woolley, who seems to make a career out of funding things that no one else wants to make. Uh, That's true, yeah, yeah. But I think I, I love Neil Jordan. I don't think he, every one of his films works, but I think as a career, he's a, he's had an extraordinary
1: career, and he's made some films yeah. that are among my favourites. He's always somebody to look out for, isn't he? I mean, mm. it, I mean, I wouldn't say I was I wouldn't say he was one of my. No, I don't know actually. Would I say he was one of my favourite directors? I'm not sure, but I, I I watch what he does. Yeah, you know, I mean, The Crying Game and Mona Lisa. I think it's just incredible uh films really um do i think he's done better since possibly not but i always enjoy what he does or so i'm intrigued to see what he's going to do for um, me it's the company of wolves i think the company of wolves is one of the most
0: extraordinary
1: films ever made yeah, yeah really good film really good film yeah yeah and, and uh, perfect for this time of year as well. Absolutely,
0: yeah. A very really then... fine, spooky season film with Angela Lansbury in it. So if, you oh, if course, anyone wants yeah, a topical yeah. rewatch of that, then now's the time. Yeah, that's true, yeah. But it, it's one of the really interesting things about Neil Jordan that I think gives you the measure of what kind of director he is, is looking at how he spent the capital that he'd got with The Crying Game, because that's the kind of home run that every director dreams of. Your low budget, little film that everyone thought was too spiky and too confrontational to find an audience just won an Oscar, what, what do you do? And in Jordan's case, he signs not with Universal or Paramount or Warner Brothers or anyone like that, he signs with the Geffen Company. Mm-hmm.
1: Another musical, another music. Uh, Indeed. In road for us to, to look at. Yeah, yeah. David
0: Gethin at the time really wanted to get into films, and his big play at the start of it was uh, Interview with the Vampire, which Neil Jordan directed for him. And that was kind of interesting, firstly, because, like I said, there aren't many people who have an Oscar winning drama about the Troubles and then go, Vampire movie, it is that's like
1: yeah. weird for a start yeah. with Hollywood A-listers, you know, it's uh Tom Cruise, um, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, yeah, uh, River Phoenix was supposed to be in it, wasn't he? But um, oh, yeah, it was Christian, Christian Slater, Slater yeah, yeah, that yeah. Part. yes, I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a star-studded cast, and it, yeah, I mean, you see the building blocks, don't you, in his mm. career, you know, you he does Angel. Um, he does Company of Wolves, which shows his, you know, his horror interests. Yeah. Um, that sort of, you know, eerie sort of, I say horror, but it's not like, er, uh, horror, it's it's sort of... That was
0: part of the trouble, because, I mean, early 80s horror, I think the Company of Wolves would have been understood if it had come out against the backdrop of, like, Hammer Studios. I think it's a, a film in conversation with that kind of horror, but... yeah. In America,
1: they tried to sell it as a slasher because that's what was big then, and it just doesn't work as that kind of movie at all. No, I I think you've hit the nail on the head with Hammer. The wonderful thing about Hammer was always that it felt like fairy tales for mature audiences. Absolutely, yes. And that is definitely Angela Carter's, you know, it's a fairy tale for a mature audience, isn't it?
0: Yeah and that was that was going to be how uh that was going to be Jordan's next project he wanted to reteam with Carter to do an adaptation of the lady of the house of love which is another in the volume of short stories that he got company of wolves from but Carter died tragically young uh of cancer while he was working on that and he i think understandably had the idea that you can't do Carter without Carter so he took the ideas about vampires that were going to be part of that script that he'd had and transplanted them into what I think is a more commercial thing. I mean, Anne Rice's books are very eccentric, and she was a very eccentric woman, and I think that's what makes them interesting. That's what makes her worthwhile. But she was definitely a more commercial, digestible kind of horror writer,
1: yeah, it's, it's, rock, it's rock star vampires, isn't it? It's, yeah. Um, when, when she sort of said that the stat was supposed to be Sting, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, and with Sting's, you know, interest in, in cinema as well, it's, it's rock star vampires. I mean, that's that, amazing. Where, did they say that Miami Vice was MTV cops? I think. Yeah. If you walked into a boardroom in Hollywood in the 90s and went, Rock star vampires. I'm sure they just sign it and give it to you straight away. (laughs) Thankfully, they didn't get Sting, you know. I mean, (laughs) for all his faults, for all Tom Cruise's faults, at least it wasn't Sting, you know. One way of looking at it. Interview with the Vampire.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Interview with the Vampire is, is kind of an odd film, I think, because Carter's works... I mean, you bring up the fairy tale connection. Fairy tales are all about maturing, about leaving childhood behind, and she parallels that with puberty but Interview with the Vampire is kind of about arrested development you're meant to want Lestat and Louis to continue to be these kind
1: of angsty brats for centuries that's yeah. the fun of it yeah true and I guess um, this is this was the second film of Geffen it I last. think No, I think this was the third one actually. I think in between he did
0: Michael Collins, which is another sort of odd collision of like Irish subject matter and Hollywood production.
1: Yeah, not. I have a lot of time for it, but it's Mm. riddled with inaccuracies, historical inaccuracies. Um, Yeah. And I've listened to the director's commentary and he tries to, Jordan tries to. Explain, explain why, defend and, why, and yeah. it doesn't really come off. Um, it, it, it's almost like a John Fordian version of, of um, you know, you yeah. get that kind of. It, it, it's a bit twee, but it's still a good film. Um, so, right, so it goes interview with a vampire, Michael Collins, and this, right? And then The Butcher Boy, which is yeah. like exactly as tough and
0: as, as unsentimental as Michael Collins isn't, I guess.
1: Yeah, and also in a way, sort of plays back to what you were saying about Carter in the sense that you know it's um, the fairy tale of puberty, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because it is a coming of age story at, it, at its heart, except that the person we're witnessing coming of age is from the outset a bully, and then by the end of the film, an incarcerated murderer. Yes. <laughs>
0: And you know, some coming of age It really
1: is And you've introduced
0: him, this this kid Frankie Who's played in a really great performance By Eamon Owens I mean, oh, Fantastic performance One of Neil Jordan's constant Strengths is that he can always Find great child performers You know, you, you think of um, Kirsten Dunst in an interview with The vampire yeah, yeah. role that on paper I think Would look uncastable But it's yeah. amazing
1: yeah, I mean, this is very similar, isn't it? You need mm. a seriously good child actor to play this role. I mean, if yeah. this novel is unfilmable, then you would imagine that this character is uncast. Um, yeah. But, God, he's... Everybody knows of Francie, right? Yeah. And fortunately, because he is the school bully. And it's that horrible, grotesque, faux chumminess that he has that... Um, would just if you if you've witnessed a bullet work or if you've been bullied yourself it will send your your spine to liquid ice water really
0: well and waves
1: you... his arms over people yeah ooh that grid it's yeah you you know that character
0: and yet in a weird way you stick with him i mean the the moment we're introduced to him after a, a very funny prologue where we see I guess we see a bit of him in the prologue, but not literally just a bit of him. Uh, He's covered from head to toe in bandages, and there's just this, like, little beady eye peeking out. Um, But the first (laughs) we see of him, he's running across um, the church rooftop with his friend, uh, Joe, and he's scrumping apples. And it's the sort of thing that... It's usually part of a bucolic Enid Blyton style picture of boiled misadventures, but it, it balances that kind of thing with a sense of the real meanness and the real kind of dysfunctional family that provokes this
1: this delinquency. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's um... we shouldn't side with him, but we do. Which is weird. I mean, we should side really with the character of Philip Nugent, who is uh, his victim, the poor, the poor boy who he, life he makes a misery. And uh, Philip's mother, Mrs. Nugent, who's seemingly the only crime is that she's a bit snooty as she went yeah. to England. Yeah, Shaw, I love Fiona form. Shaw. Yeah, really good performance. I mean, it, this this is a starry cast. we sure we'll we we'll, we'll, uh, Fiona Shaw is a uh, very good role. But, yeah, we shouldn't... The victims, we should We should really be sided with the victims. Something uncompromising about uh, McCabe's uh, novel or Jordan's direction and screenplay or whatever that just says, no, this is who I'm putting you alongside with. This is our protagonist. You're going to stick with him. Mm. Um, and you do, to the point where you end up, you know, really feeling something for what is a horrible child. <laughs> I mean, I have a friend, uh, Chris Browning, who said on
0: Letterbox that it's it's a measure of this film's greatness that I see a lot of my childhood self in Philip Nugent. And yet I was, I stuck
1: with this film all the way. You know, yeah, I was never yeah. repelled by it. That's true. And I think some of that is just down to... um I Eminem mean, Owens' is fantastic performance for a child. It's incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah, full of uh, brio and cheek and hutzpah, which I think was evident. Wonderful anecdotes where he goes for his, uh, you know, he goes for the uh, the interview, and mm. literally walked in and went, "Was the for me any good?" They were like, "Well, why?" I said, "But because if he was, there's no point in me doing this. This, uh, <laughs> this audition, you know." <laughs> And you just say, that's probably got you the job straight away because that's that's
0: That's exactly what he'd say, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly what he'd say, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, But I think it's a measure of how good he is as a a performer. And child performers are notoriously risky, Mm. Uh, especially to to, to actually carry an entire movie on their shoulders. Yeah. Very risky proposition, but he does it. He does it really, really well. And holds his own against an incredible...
0: Yeah, it is a fantastic cast. And um I think one of the strengths of it is that it has some really well-known faces in it, but none of them ever overshadow the young cast. Even people like Fiona Shaw and Stephen Ray, who have a lot of screen time. Like, the only time I felt distracted by someone was. When you've got that farmer who he goes for tractor rides with, who goes on about communists, and it's like, yes, thinking, yeah, yeah, oh man, who's that guy? I yeah. looked it up. It's the Pat Gray who plays uh Hood Hastings in the sheep breeding episode of Father Ted, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> and it's a great role, isn't it? Because it's yes. very much uh going back to the comic strip uh thing, you know, it, it's it's very um nuclear age with the paranoia of uh, the bomb and reds under the beds and of course um, that sort of monster type science fiction thing all feeds Mm -hmm. into this but you're right about the cast, it is that kind of cast that even the smaller roles were probably in Father Ted or Ballykiss Angel at the time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, part of that, again,
0: that kind of increase in, in Irish themed media around the time really yeah. drew attention to the fact that the country has this incredibly deep bench of character actors, you know, you've even got yeah. Milo Shane there as the like paedophile priest, two Francis yeah. falls
1: foul of yeah. Twinkly twinkly Milo Milo O'Shea playing a paedophile priest was it was a as a surprise, really. Yeah. Um, but it's still it shouldn't be a nice role, but it's still you think, oh it's Milo O'Shea, you know. <laughs> it fits very well, doesn't it? Into
0: and I suppose this goes back to Sinead O'Connor being in it because her, the thing that really derailed Hickory, he was speaking out against paedophilia in the Catholic Church, but um, it it fits very neatly into how that was talked about before there was any journalistic attention on it, where you've got a local priest and he likes fiddling about with the boys, but it's not it's just his thing, you know, people just accept it in this really eerie, unnerving way.
1: It's like it's par for the course, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a horrible, um different times, isn't it? It's yeah. just bizarre that we even think of it like that now. But yeah, it's it's crazy. Um but yeah, just go just to go back to the cast. I mean, you have also got Brendan Gleeson as another uh priest Yeah, in the reform school, only not you? And um I mean, for one for for one Irish film to have Ardelo handling it is like you know, no, but to then have yeah. Sean Hughes in there as well. I felt
0: genuinely wistful when I saw Sean Hughes's face at the hospital. Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. Yeah. It's a lovely little role for him, isn't it? And yeah. then you've got, and it's obviously, you know, Jordan has his regulars as well, doesn't it? So you've got um, Ian Hart, who had just yeah. done um, Michael Collins uh, with yeah. Jordan, and um, Stephen Ray, of course. I'm sure Jordan can make a film without Stephen Ray, but he hasn't done it yet. I don't and, and why would he want <laughs> and to why really? would you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a wonderful actor, and he's
0: um there's almost an element in this where it's like a farcical replay of Ray's role in in Jordan's first film, Angel, where he played a musician and you introduced him here as uh Francis Alcoholic Dad. Who in his first scene is playing the trumpet along with the
1: Lone Ranger theme on yeah, TV? It's, it's a lovely touch, that isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I would put money on the fact that that is probably based on someone that Definitely. somebody has done that in, and it's an old family. Oh, do you remember when Dad used to get his trumpet out to play along to the Lone Ranger <laughs> theme? Whether it's something from Jordan's family or whether it's a Cabe's family, it, it, that that little touch—I don't think you can. I don't think you can arrive upon that touch. I think it's existed somewhere. Yes, filed it away. Filed it away for future reference, yeah. And then, of course, Sinead O'Connor as as the Virgin Mary who um, comes to Francie during um, his uh, his scenes in the reform school.
0: And it's great having O'Connor in there because it's, I mean, it's obviously a very provocative piece of casting, but... The thing is with Sinead O'Connor is that she's never done anything that's just been a provocation. You know, she's not Madonna who famously, like, vocally disapproved of her ripping up that
1: photo of the Pope. That was a bit strange.
0: I think that, that, I forget who said it, but someone suggested that Madonna was pissed off that... At that time in her career, she was very invested in being shocking. It was the time when she's m- most deliberately controversial, and suddenly, like this upstart comes along and does something that causes a bigger stink than she ever did in her career. Yeah,
1: just be beat- casually. Yeah, yeah. it's beaten it to the jump. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right there. Yeah, it's. Um, but yeah, as you said about the the Milo shake, it's, it's it's a mark of. It, this is no pun intended, but it's a mark of people you from the same in cheat yes, in terms yeah. of what they want to say about Ireland, and, and um, that you would cast Sinead O'Connor in that role, and she would happily form that role. I mean, Jordan says that the reason he cast her as the Virgin Mary is because he looked like the Virgin Mary. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> yeah. Which is true. Absolutely true. You know, Although <laughs> I did read, I don't know how true this is, but I did read that... Um, he wanted to cast Marilyn Monroe. Um, he'd seen <laughs> he'd seen some sort of CGI on Forrest Gump and thought, I wonder if he could do that, but worked out that it would have been too expensive. Now, whether that is just like somebody trolling us on Internet Movie Database, but I think it is there in the trivia section. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm reminded slightly of... Um, was it...
0: Uh, was it Leos Carracks who was asked why he cast Denis Levant in Holy Motors? And he said, Well, my first choice, Lon Chaney, was dead. So.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good luck trying to cast Marilyn. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, I mean, I, it, maybe even John did say that, but well, I think he's playing um, a bit of a quirkiness on. He's fueling the myth, really. I guess, isn't he? It's. I. I, I imagine he could say, "Well, if the Virgin Mary doesn't, if somebody who looks like the Virgin Mary and is a you know pop icon figure for the '90s, um, isn't Sinead O'Connor coming to visit Francie? Then it would be a pop icon figure from his time, his even Yeah, I suppose yeah, that's very so. true.
0: Yeah, and the film is very linked in with his fantasies. there's that? Gorgeous scene where he imagines, you know, a, a Soviet nuclear strike on on his town, and it's it's nothing at all like Threads. You know, it's pure fifties bug-eyed yeah, monster monsters, movie yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, he's
1: he's got a fevered imagination, hasn't he? That's yeah, just so yeah. Um, and of course, you get Stephen Ray not only playing the dad, but also playing sort of like the voice of. Francie's conscious, shall we say? It's the voice of Francie, kind of looking back
0: on his childhood, which is, is sort of reassuring because there are several points in the film where, without that, you would suspect he, he's about to die. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's also something horrible about it in that it basically confirms that Francie has no path to the future other than turning into his useless alcoholic dad because they're played by the same actor.
1: Yeah, it's a a nice little... um, Yeah, it's a nice bitter irony to that, isn't it? It's Mm. like, well, you're going to turn into your dad in a way. But
0: he's still, even during that brief moment where we do see him as an adult, he is still seeing the Virgin Mary, so there's still some bit of... uh, of the sort of imagination that he had in his youth that's still around, even if it's been brutally suppressed by the asylums.
1: Yeah, yeah. And as you say, sweary Virgin Mary as well. For fuck's sake, Francie. It's very
0: funny, but it, it reminds you that that for O'Connor can be very funny. I have a great fondness for when she was she spent a while doing backing vocals for the American singer-songwriter John Grant and she was asked about Grant in an interview and she said so that like, if that man ever reconsiders his homosexuality, I am oiled up and waiting. <laughs> which is incredibly shenado
1: Connor. I mean even like I remember on Bang Bang it's Reeves and Mothra where oh, she has yeah. to sit through Donald and starts. Yeah. <laughs> <you know. laughs> it's just a mark of how she sort of like engages in that. But, um, you can see this is a woman with a sense of humour.
0: I think she has a
1: great sense of humour, but
0: uh, artistically there is a core of sincerity to everything she does. And I think that's part of what, Makes this performance, which on paper is an outrageous joke. I mean, I I admit part of why I want to see this film was I want to see the film where Sinead O'Connor plays the Virgin Mary, but. Dick. Yeah. 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 But there is always this core of honesty and seriousness to everything she does. And that's what makes her such a great, great artist and
1: icon, in my opinion. Yeah, I've got a lot of time for it. She's uh, a really interesting voice. I think it's it's for the uh, the amount of shit that gets heaped, heaped on her, especially yeah. knowing knowing that she has her problems, you know. I think yeah. that people still insist on, you know, into the cranky woman, you know, that horrible mm. sort of that yeah. mentality that, that press have. It's just graceful in this day. And age.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's... It's interesting looking back at her very early career and realising what, I don't want to say she could have had, because I think she's been very open recently, particularly in her autobiography, Rememberings, and in this documentary, she's been very upfront in saying that she didn't get into this to be a pop star, she wanted to play live music, and she was happy being a pop star at first because it meant she could do that more often, but she was never going to get on with what you have to do to remain a pop star. Yeah. And that, a, I think it's, that's it's fine, a, you know.
1: It's... It's, a, it's a fine line, isn't it? I mean, there's pop stars and there's artists. And yeah. It, and there's a reason why they're called artists, really, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And artists have opinions and they deliver statements and they don't see the work as just... Bubblegum, or that you know, you release a record and then you do so many nights, and then you wait a year and do another record and do the same thing. I didn't like them, you know, you've got a fan base and you want to speak to that fan base. I think that's yeah. the difference, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. But even on that first album, before Am I Not Your Girl, you know, there's a lot of edge forward thinking stuff on there. You know, she is, she's doing. Traditional Irish songs, but she is doing them with beats, she is doing them with guest verses from MC Light. And it's it, it's the sort of thing where you think if she had any interest in being a pop star, the world would have been hers to grab. You know, it really yeah. reminds you that she walks away very consciously from that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you. People would say Madonna's an artist, but like you say, there's a lot more canny marketing ideas going on there. Yeah. That she just doesn't have any time What there's, there's, there's playing, some people are allowed to play, the, some people are allowed to have their say in an image and play the game at the same time. Mm. I think that's the difference. I think Madonna
0: is very canny at realising how to go like an inch further than the line that people are comfortable with. You know, she's one of those artists like Tarantino who has made a very good career on being the sort of trusted brand who can take a mainstream American audience a little bit further than they want. And that's, you know, there's... There's a certain genius in that, but I think what made Sinead O'Connor radioactive is that when she ripped that photo of the Pope in half on Saturday Night Live again, it's the sincerity. She obviously meant it. It's not like Madonna swearing on Letterman where you can just roll your eyes and go, oh, yeah, doing that again, is she? There is this no, cost, it's sort of
1: total conviction to it. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that I mean, it, it was it the Bob Dylan birthday. Um, yes, thing. the fact that you know that has repercussions, and she is not afraid to face down those repercussions, and mm. and you know, alone in a storm of disapproval, and just say, well, you know, I think that's
0: incredible. I watched that clip for the first time, I was always aware that it happened, but I watched that clip for the first time in the run-up to this and it's really electrifying, I mean it's a a roughest performance in a lot of ways because she doesn't want the audience to enjoy what she's doing and it gains a lot of power from that but I was also just really charmed by Chris Christopherson going up oh, to her he when the was at its peak. And according to O'Connor, he just whispered in her, you don't let the bastards get you
1: down. Yeah, Chris Christopherson as Arthur Seaton in Saturday night, Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the crossover we never knew we, we wanted. wanted. <laughs> no, he's lovely, Chris Christopherson. He's absolutely yeah. really good. Really, um, really sweet. That there's a bit the, the music- of the relationship, I believe. yeah.
0: There's one musical connection, uh, yeah. that we haven't mentioned here, which is the title because even the title of it is an Irish folk ballad. Yes, it's
1: the record that um, Francie's mum brings back from the asylum, isn't it? Yeah, that is played over and over again, which suggests that. The asylum hasn't really done the work that it that was required <laughs>
0: because it's such a horrible song. You know, it's yeah. uh, the story of someone who's who's spurned by the the man that she loves and goes home and hangs herself. It's a it's a typical Cheery Irish folk song, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's been recorded yeah, it by so... loads
0: of people. Uh, O'Connor's done her own version of it. Kirsty McCall did. There's an amazing almost industrial sounding version by Lamb Chop, which I, I think is fantastic.
1: Fair enough. Never knew never knew that one though.
0: No. Yeah, but it's um it, it's sort of it's in moments like that with the treatment of Francie's mum that you can see how another take on this book could have been that kind of Angela's ashes thing. Because the scene where Francie comes home and sees his mum like in the attic, standing on the chair, and and you know what he's just caught of about to do, but he doesn't have a clue. It's there, there's sort of dark humour to it, but it's real hearted mouth stuff as well oh, as it's yeah, a horrible yeah.
1: weight to it. It's bleak, definitely. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, as you say, it could go in that direction. I think the the great thing about um Abe's writing or, or the film in itself is that all from Branthay's point of view, like you say, he doesn't yeah. really understand what's going on so he creates a world where he tries to couch what he's just seen in his own terms so yeah he hears the word breakdown isn't he and the only type of connotation he's got for a breakdown is you know your car breaks down you take it to the garage you get it fixed so his whole yeah. thing is like his mum's like a car going to fixed to the garage you know they've got a the right sprocket on a head kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. And he has that 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 thing where he, he he talks to the villagers with mm. the same kind of um talks to them in sort of old older beyond his years sort of patter, doesn't he? Yes, it, which yeah. they find endearing and charming, um, rather than a course for like this boy's is not right, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But I think that's that's part of why you stick with Francie despite him being a horrible kid because the film keeps reminding you that there is this innocence and ignorance to him. He doesn't comprehend the scale of what he's doing even when the story gets really dark at the end. There's this kind of obliviousness to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's he's a damaged individual, isn't he? And again, there is a film where you could tell that story from that perspective and just go, oh, woe is me, he's a damaged individual, you know? And, uh, and it could be that sort of misery porn film, but this is just, like say, it crackles with, with uh, vibrancy and uh, it's, it's really black. I mean, mm. it's, it's a, I'm not surprised they said it was unfilmable because yeah. you could imagine, I mean, I've not read the book, but you could imagine... I mean, I can just imagine somebody trying to explain this and go, yeah, yeah that's yeah. not going to... Well, you follow an interview <laughs> with a vampire up and Michael Collins up with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is no part for Brad Pitt in this movie. No, there really isn't. No. <laughs> so, it is, you know, kudos to them. And again, that's... I think there's a myth that, like, Hollywood stopped taking risks at Heaven's Gate or something like that. But, mm. you know, they, obviously... Geffen and what I mean, maybe it takes an outsider to Faith in uh, perhaps, an OT, yeah. perhaps. But you know, I mean, John was given a blank check really to, to make a film like this. I mean it, it might know, just be everybody that, said it's unfilmable.
0: Yeah, it could just be that each era's risks are only really obvious in retrospect when in you're retrospect, not in the middle yeah. of them. Because it's like I look back at this now and I think holy shit, I mean not just in in terms of the transgressive content of it or even the, the Irishness of it which is so different to like any commercial vision of Irishness that we've been talking about There's no donkey in the street or
1: an old guy playing a fiddle in a pub well, this,
0: this was made in the same year that there was that infamous week when EastEnders went to Ireland <gasps> and it's like People have forgotten yeah. about that now because it's so embarrassing, but their version of Ireland seemed to be, it, it's like hard to be a god, but with more donkeys. That seemed to be like the size of it.
1: Deluge after deluge of complaint, <laughs> was not it? That, that... <laughs> And you've got like, its it's the mid-90s, and you have a 19-year-old Irish girl talking about, the Whale of the Banshee. Yes! Like that. She
0: <laughs> didn't understand how mainlanders could, like, know if someone was dead unless they'd heard the Whale of the Banshee.
1: <laughs> I mean, the, the, the great thing is it was the Fowls and the Beals that went over, wasn't it? And um, Ian Beals there, of course. Now, he should have just explained that he was from Tip chop and they'd be like, what? or Oh, no, you chip the potato and sell it freely. You damage the sacred potato. <laughs> it's, yeah,
0: absolute insanity. Yeah. And, and for this to, like, share a century with the butcher yeah. boy, let alone a, a year yeah. of release, is just beyond thought. But, I mean, the other thing is I don't think people make adaptations of books that are difficult anymore i don't think there's such no. a thing it was a very much present in the 90s where people who were at a certain level as a director would say, right next movie, I'm doing Naked Lunch I'm doing Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I'm going to be the guy who pulls that off and I think that's all kind of migrated over to television now but maybe we'll be Yeah, true, true. We, We could be looking back at the indies and the foreign films released today and in 20 years and saying you'd never get a film like Pleasure or Happening or something like that made today.
1: You know, you it don't knows, know. Yeah.
0: Who knows, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a fabulous film, and I'm really glad we got round to it, and it does remind you that Neil Jordan, at his best, is a completely uncompromising guy.
1: Yeah, it's a director you should just say, never write him off, because you never know, yeah. something else might be around the corner. So... um it's always worth checking in on him to see what he's doing. Really, is definitely, yeah.
0: But before we go, uh, socials. You mentioned you were on Letterboxd.
1: Um, are there any other areas where people can catch you? Instagram. Mm. Yeah, you can look for Mark Conley on Instagram, and I should be there under the name I Will. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but mainly, that's just that and Letterboxd. Really, they are uh, the only things. Yes. Like- Oh, Social,
0: sure. yeah. Letterbox is my big thing. I'm on Letterbox uh, just as Graham Williamson. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Graham W Films, and that's where I am. Uh, apart, obviously, from all the places where we write for, which we covered at the start. But um, mm-hmm. that's been it for Halloween week of mm. uh, Halloween month, rather of Pop Screen.
1: Mm. <laughs>
0: It's very rare that we have you on, on our Halloween show, classing it up. Um, although I'm not sure if I could describe what you've just done as classing it
1: up, but you know The man who is currently hating every second of Letterboxd because everybody's just reviewing horror films. Like, so <laughs> oh, yes. dull, so, so dull. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs>
0: But every now and then you find something that falls under that umbrella that is just, I think, for
1: us both that we can both enjoy. And this is definitely oh, yeah. one of those absolutely, films. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That is true. Yeah, I, I, don't, don't, I don't. I'm not a, a hater of horror. I just find that people watching it constantly every day for a month. Yeah, I, I like variety of what people are writing about. Completely. So like, totally. oh, watching another yeah. horror movie, right? Well, if you want variety, uh,
0: I can reveal that next month we are planning to tie in to the release of Weird, the Al Yankovic story, starring Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Yep. Uh, We are doing UHF sometime next month, so look out for that. (laughs) You will be. (laughs) And that, that will be a bit of a U turn from X and the Butcher Boy, I think. Oh definitely, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: but until then,
0: uh that's been Pop Screen. I've been Graham. And I've been Mark. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks.